Ryan. Hey, man. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Had my volume. Yes, I'm going to adjust my, my levels as well here. Good, man. Hey, it's great to hear your voice, man. Oh, it's good to hear your voice, too. We usually start these off by having people describe their surroundings, Ryan. Where are you? I'm in my den, and uh, it's uh, got wood uh, walls. It's like the old so night house I live in was built in 1967, so it's it's very stylish. Very cool. Yeah, it's like uh, wood paneling walls, and uh, I have a stone chi- um, chimney behind me, like a fireplace, stone fireplace, not the chimney, the chimney behind yeah. the house, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, man, I'm just uh, enjoying the lovely evening. Um, it's nice and breezy out here in uh, Columbia. Um, I don't know, you're in Florida, right? I am, I'm currently in Gainesville, Florida. Cool, man. So yeah, that's uh, I got uh, yeah, just uh, just in my house and sort of enjoying the breezy night. <laughs> Excellent. Well, cool, man. Well, we are in the personal journals section of the podcast world, and so we are not restricted in terms of content. We can talk about whatever because it's more about capturing people's perspectives you know think about like we're in the 1930s and we're out collecting field recordings of people's personal testimony uh you know during the new deal it's that kind of thing i'm just kind of trying to record people's voices ideally from faraway places so i just uh interviewed someone from someone in jacksonville today and then this morning someone in uh, nantucket uh you're in columbia south carolina and i've found that we can pretty much get the whole conversation out of one question, which is what were you trying to do before this quarantine and how's that different now? I was uh, earning my, I was saving up money. Uh, I was working as a stagehand for, uh, it was working for USC, University of South Carolina. And I was doing stagehand work at Colonial Life Arena and the Township Auditorium and also the cool. Cogar Center as well. And that's the first time I'd, um, done it that kind of work really I've, I've done i've run audio for like you know shows and stuff back when you know when i was a kid or whatever but uh this is like you know you're loading in all the equipment i worked uh, several shows and i just this it's really i actually was enjoying the job and everything was going well saving up it was good money too and um fun job actually um a lot of work though and and uh then uh yeah this happened so of course all the shows got uh, postponed and canceled or whatever because of this because you can't couldn't first thing was like no mass gatherings so you know um that's been put on hold like i was just looking forward to having enough you know a lot you know good amount of money saved up for india and going back in november but uh yeah now i'm just uh sort of i don't know waiting a little bit and uh but yeah that got put on hold <laughs> to answer your question so yeah so how are you occupying your time now because i mean that was an occupation you were hired by a, a theater to do some work and now there's no public gathering so the whole raw material of that is is now gone so you're you must be doing something else during your days well i mean you know what i've been basically my um my occupation has been playing professional music since uh, I've pretty much i was 14 when i played my first you know professional gig you could call it, it was at my school but we did sell like a bunch of cassette tapes of our band. So I call it my first professional gig. And then when I was 15, we were out playing in clubs by then. 
So, you know, all through high school is doing that and get playing in bands. And then um, that's just been everything I've wanted to do. Um, went to college kind of and then just sort of, you know, realized I, I really don't want to be in a classroom anymore. I just want to be out playing. So, uh, yeah, then so that's what I'm still doing. But it's kind of like I'm, I'm just basically right now playing on the street and I'm looking into all of this um, online stuff now because everyone else seems that now everyone's really jumping on it because you kind of have to like. I've seen so many um, the South Carolina music scene Facebook page has so many people doing online uh, performances mm -hmm. there I guess there's some there are some portals that where you can get some some monetization you can monetize mm -hmm. it. I don't know, stage it is one but I don't know if you have to audition for them or what the deal is I don't know but I'm just I just did a Facebook Live uh, first video, first time I did on my own playing Pablo. I just did it earlier today because I was trying to set up the sound on my computer for, for this interview with you. This is my first podcast, by the way. First. Wow. So you should be honored. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely am. And I mean, it's, it's a young podcast. It really began along with the quarantine. So, I mean, this is season one, baby. Necessity is the mother of invention. Exactly. So I, I, it's kind of cool, the idea. I'm not totally against it. I did grow up in the era where, you know, we were playing. It was just playing live was everything. And, and you were just like, right. yeah, you weren't, there was no, it was just weird. It's, it's just strange now. But but I'm, I think it's kind of cool because I think if, yeah, if you can get enough listeners and you can get people to either donate or subscribe and then you're able to earn some kind of bread from it, you could be feasibly anywhere. It, and, uh, oh, by the way, is my sound okay? You can hear my voice okay? crystal clear it's you're on a computer right that sounds a, really nice well, i got a good mic actually and i got a scarlet um brand fo or focus right um uh, in interface with the two channel so it's got yeah that's oh yeah helps. got this uh i forgot what kind of mic this is i think it's like an akg or something but it's a pretty nice mic so yeah i just wanted to check um but yeah um so yeah i, I wouldn't want to see live performances ever go away like where everything's online and like i guess with 5g everything will be fast enough that you could do, you know, everything online live in real time, but it, yeah, it would just, uh, I don't think live is ever going to completely go away because people, people got to be, you know, there's still that natural organic thing that needs to be there. And especially, I don't know, man, it's just uh, to the energy between the audience and the, and the, and the artist or whatever. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, as far as to, oh, to, to just to continue though, finish up what you asked me. So I'm just trying to do other work. I work for some friends also that we go around and I have a friend that's, uh, he's, he does like, he basically is a, he's uh, a lumberjack in a sense. I mean, when trees fall down, he cuts off the dead branches or cuts, you know, he cleans it up mm -hmm. him and I, uh, 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 I do the busking thing. I'm still doing that with Jim Hadley in Walterboro. Uh, yeah, right. That's, yeah, that's still going pretty good, actually. Walterboro's not bad, in fact. For for that, cool yeah. man. We play at the Bilo there, and we play at some other some other mm -hmm. locations. Well, we'd, you'd be surprised, man. The Bilo is actually probably my favorite spot now because we played all over in Charleston and some spots here in Columbia, and uh, you know, yeah, we tried Asheville. Of course, Asheville is just saturated. There's so many, every other right. you turn your head, this, you know, 45 degrees, there's a busker, you know, so it's kind of like, um, mm. just, uh, yeah, uh, the place some places in Walterboro aren't bad and it's less driving for me to go down there. So that's what I've been doing. 
I would like to get into teaching online, though. I guess teaching the tabla. And I do have my tabla set up, and I can play for you whenever. So. Yes, we are going to have some of that. I'm extremely looking forward to that. That's a really, really unique musical presentation that I'm excited to be able to present in this format. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, things are changing. Uh, I think what's interesting, though, is, you know, people say that this is now the age of the, of the viral pandemic, you know, due to globalizing culture and global travel being at a fever pitch and climate change, we can expect more of these viruses to be jumping species. And so it's interesting because like <laughs> global pandemic itself is kind of becoming our new global culture. And like the moments where there's no pandemic will be these global like festival moments, you know? You, uh, yeah. And so what, no, no, was that? Continue. I was just, no, well, that, that's all I'm saying is that it's going to be, you know, as opposed to this weird kind of slow trickle of sometimes people are excited about live music and a scene will kind of spring up and it's, you know, it's kind of finding its footing. It's like in the global pandemic culture, there is a time when people are excited about gathering and that's when they're able to without dying. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's weird that it's just what you what, when you were just mentioning that just made me think of how like this last 10 years, what I've noticed, I mean, because I'm 44 now and um, in the last 10 years, I've seen just these festivals kind of crop slowly, slowly is like this festival thing, you know, become right. a thing more. And it's like. But when I was a kid, you literally went out almost every night to go see a live band. And you, you weren't you would go to a, a small club. Man, the place here was Rockefellers in Columbia. It was in five points there. And it's just ten minutes from my house. And we would go down there and that place couldn't hold maybe two hundred people. I mean, barely. I saw Dave Matthews before they broke out, like about six months before they blew up. And that place was just there was a line around the corner to like, you know into the street, you know, and, and, and you, I, I, when I got in there, somehow I got in there. I mean, I guess, cause I was pretty small. I, I sort of snuck my way through there. I was a little kid, you know, mm. and I, I was like, my feet weren't even, <coughs> so, but there were these places everywhere. And I don't know about other towns, but I can speak for, you know, Columbia. I mean, Charleston's managed to keep a good, you know, a great local music scene, but I mean, it's not as great though, but still, you know, but it's the tourism's gone up, but it's just, yeah, the festival thing, it's like, it's just a lot, it seems like a lot more work for an artist to get into a festival than what you could do to get, just to be seen at least in, in, in any venue. Like, it was just so much easier back when I was a kid because you could really call up a place, they weren't going to pay you, but you could haul your stuff down the street and go play. And then at least some people, and slowly, slowly you, you do that, you know, and every few months you play or every two months or whatever you could play. And then finally, after a year of that, you already got, at least you maybe get paid and then you would build up from there you just keep sticking at it and but yeah the festival thing it just you, you mentioned global you know festival that that thing and i don't know like you're talking about global pandemic i was trying to follow you but yeah it you're right with with the, everything mixing globally like global mm -hmm. and everything yeah there's it just um it people do kind of it's not local like what it used to be and 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 even the club down the street this i was talking about rockefellers man i mean nirvana came and played there you know, and that was just right before they 
also became you know hit it big or whatever and and uh you know Soundgarden and and Rage Against the Machine they were all right there and it was just a place that was like and I used to you know just remember coming home smelling like cigarettes and the first thing I do is just take off my my plaid shirt and throw it in the right because <laughs> it was like the grunge days I had the plaid yeah shirt. yeah yeah it was just it was uh it was so much more there was some you had so much more access I'm sorry I'm just gonna say it but in 1991 the early 90s. You as a kid growing up in a medium-sized town, or even you know Columbia was the capital, but it wasn't such a big. It wasn't a metropolitan, you know. Right. You had access to so much freaking live music that it was it was ridiculous, you know. And the only reason we had to pay anything to get in is because we were under eighteen, so we had to pay five bucks because we mm. couldn't buy, we couldn't buy alcohol, but they'd still let us in. They'd stamp our hands. Some people, some people try to wipe the stamp out. You try to go to the bathroom, right, 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 so you could get alcohol somehow. <laughs> um, you know, then you could try to buy a beer or whatever. Right, but, right. Yeah, it was just uh, it was just a more continuous and constant thing. Now you got to work. It seems like you have to work so much harder to go and get into a festival. And these festivals are not like constantly going. I think it's way tougher if you're like a twenty-something kid who are fresh out of high school and you're trying to start make it. And then now you got to also get a video made right away and get on mm-hmm. YouTube. I mean, you didn't worry about any of that. You just worried about that, you know, and you had your friends helping you back when I was a kid. You had some friends helping you to maybe you had a friend who 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 who's his dad, you know, owned a, a printing press or something. So you could get mm-hmm. covers made for your tapes or whatever. You, I, I literally remember I had my um literally remember. I remember yeah. having two tape decks, you know, plugged together and I was running off our my band's cassettes like one by one like dubbing them every moment i wasn't doing something i'd go and switch the tape turn it around dub the other side right and i did that like for like a good month and got like 100 tapes dubbed off that way you know i would just that was the kind of labor of it and i went to like kinko's and we had kinko's back in the day and you know would make the covers by hand and the sticker you had sticker labels you put on your tape and you made cds the same way you'd burn them you know that's right but um yeah no i really miss it to some degree and i feel like it's a lot more work but yeah you, i don't know i think just because you mentioned the word festival it triggered that in my head because that's something i've been wanting to talk about <laughs> yeah <laughs> no absolutely well yeah and that does that absolutely speaks to my point all i was saying is that there are right now gatherings you can go to there's this music festival thing Mm -hmm. and it is a thing where they're kind of yeah the energy was filtering out of like every night of the week having live music and into maybe i you know pay price as a person i'm gonna go for this whole weekend and i'm gonna you know get all my live music in in this one spot but now even that's going away and so there is kind of there is this energy that was going somewhere and people are very excited for the quarantine to be over. They can oh, exercise this energy. And so I guess I'm just asking, what do you think is, what are people doing when stay-at-home order is over? When people can finally go be in crowds again? And fornicating in the do? streets. Fornicating <laughs> in the streets. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, uh, who knows? It'll be like a burning man everywhere. <laughs> right. So okay. So but but you agree though that there is like there's a fever pitch of excitement. That I think it, it hasn't built happen. up enough yet. I think Americans are st- a little bit still enjoying this some in some level. I'm gonna be honest. Oh, okay. It's yeah. like and it's like the reverse in India because India is um and I wish I could be talking to you from there sort of. I will go on the flip side. It's that because I you know I love being there, but their their culture is so social, and um. 
I mean, it's amazing. It's not just because it's so overpopulated, but you know that probably helps that situation. Mm. But they're very social people and communal people. But I don't think I think we're kind of just to, to respond. I sort of feel like we're not to a point where we like. Oh man, I I will say one thing. There's a positive note, at least in my neighborhood, and probably because I live in a upper class, upper middle class neighborhood where there's more. You know, people kind of got like less to worry about. They have their savings and they got their retirement and insurance. And so they they don't have really much to worry about, you know, as far as being unemployed or laid off or whatever. Um, and they're kind of they're out and with their kids. I have not seen so many people out in my neighborhood. Uh, like I, I can't mm. I'm like and it's a great thing. The kids don't even know how to ride bikes because now the stuff <laughs> riding bikes, they're riding their bikes and they're running stop signs. And wow. I was like, I was like, I almost had this today. In fact, I had to, um, I almost like pulled this side, these two, you know, I was driving and almost, I could have hit these kids. I was just passing through my, and I drive slow and safe in my neighborhood, especially in my neighborhood. But these kids just ran a stop sign. I was like, about the time I was like, look, y'all got to obey the r- rules of the road too. You know, clearing <laughs> the road here, you don't just run stop signs. They're like these two eight year old girls on bikes. And I was about to, and I, I should have said something, but they kind of got away from me before I could, you know, I'm, Anyway, right. but uh, yeah, it was it was just uh, it's, so that's one good thing that at least, and I hope in other neighborhoods, not just the upper middle class or whatever, but I hope people are you know at least getting out as well at least somewhat. But I guess yeah, you know you kind of gotta you can't you know go even to parks now and stuff. I I wanted to say one other thing, make one other point about the music thing. Yeah, this is something I was thinking about. Brains, you know, sort of came to me the other day, but um about like with the American Idol thing. What happened is sort of what I realized is that the 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 general population, which so you know, I would say the majority of it, they they need to be they need we have an entertainment need. We're not you know, just everyday needs for entertainment. And what American Idol and these shows like Dances Dancing with the Stars and these kind of things and uh, America's Got Talent and blah 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 have done. I feel like the the only negative what what's kind of hurt just the music industry in general by it i feel is that back when i was a kid and there weren't these shows you had to go out or you know or you watch mtv but usually you you would go out if you want to see a a performer live a music musical performer and so you would that's why these clubs existed you could just go down you didn't even have to pay a cover charge you get go in have a couple beers whatever meet your friends there and then you'd see a band play and you go hey i want to check out who's playing i want to see about this band i heard about them and you go down and see them now the, the average listener can just stay at home and watch American Idol and, and they'll see enough. They'll be entertained. They get their entertainment fulfill, uh, needs fulfilled from hmm. that. And so what you got is if you look at it in sort of a um, demographic way, you're seeing what you're seeing is, say, I don't know what the stats are, but like 20 million, let's say 20 million Americans want to go out and see, a, you know, either they want some entertainment you know mm-hmm. the, the musical entertainment they want to experience something so they want to hear and see a band or just a, you know a solo artist or whatever and instead of going and getting in the car and driving down to downtown to to go to some clubs and you know doing that they're going so you would have 20 million people divided by let's say 200 people going to see you know uh, this band going to then there's 200 people in that city going to see that band 200 people right. in that city going you see what I'm saying yeah the, the diversity of the, the the sort of the it's the stratification that used to be there of mm-hmm. yeah you would have 
200 people in every single town on any Friday or Saturday night going out to see a different band. How many more bands could exist? Because it's kind of like a more, it was a more socialistic and, and, and more evenly spread sort of like where you could have so many more artists that could feed themselves and actually just get their needs met and be on the road and be out performing versus you got 20 million people all stand at home watching the same one artist perform or the same 10 artists, whatever, in an hour of American Idol. So you see now that's I think that's it kind of hit me the other day. I was thinking about American Idol and all this stuff. And I was like, how is it? Because everything is so different, dude. And it's really it's it, I'm not. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but I mean, there's always, you know, the silver lining and there's always the flip side to the coin. There's always some, the pendulum swings. And I do believe that, but at this, this last 10 years or last five, 10 years, I would say, especially last, especially since smartphones have been out because smartphones play into this too, has really destroyed. Like, I mean, in my opinion, it's like just brutally like beating the ever living shit out of like live, the live music culture. You know, yeah, what we used to have, and you know, so it, that's the last I'll say about it. But I don't know, whatever. Um, the, the other thing, yeah, it was just uh, it's it is nice to see kids on bikes. And <laughs> as far as the quarantine goes, when it's, I mean, I hope it's lifted sooner than later because people do want to go back to work. I know that it's not, you know, but I think as far as it being like uh, there being a Lord of the Flies situation, I mean, we might need another few i don't know we might need just another month before people start flipping on it if we can't get food and you know mm -hmm. get things like that like if there was no okay for one thing right now if there hadn't been electricity or at least there hadn't been internet even if there hadn't been internet i think that would have made things way more strain straining oh yeah last, last two three weeks if people just had the tv and their electricity and no internet because americans <sighs> you know that is like such a heavy part of our entertainment diet and just to be right. able to be sane I, I i would meditate or something and i would just play my tablas but i know like yeah i would miss it a little bit i'm sure other people probably would be like really pulling their hair out you know at some point absolutely <laughs> so you know um, I know that my my dad's girlfriend's uh, grandkids who come over on the week or they were coming over on the weekend, they would you know they're real they're not you know total like crackheads with their smartphone you know what I'm saying mm. they're kind of addicted to them. I'll be right, honest. right. I pulled I pulled his when they're using them, they're like a, a kind of they'll put them down and they'll play and they'll go they'll even go outside you know if I if I kick their butts outside I'm like go play outside. Back when I was a kid, of course, you couldn't you couldn't stop me from going outside. Like that was the first thing we did. Right. Home and change your clothes, you're out the door. Yeah. But uh, but you know these kids sometimes kind of gotta they're like afraid of my yard. It's <sighs> like I don't really keep up my yard, but it does look a little bit like a jungle. So they're kind of like scared of it. And I'm like, man, we we would just be rolling in it. We'd be right, right. Muddy and shit. And, but um, oh, I'm sorry. Is my am I, can I use the S H I T word or I don't, I'm not gonna like drop f bombs or anything, but. You can, yeah. I it, the the podcast kind of PG thirteen okay. kind of zone, so a couple of sh bombs, maybe even one well full f bomb is like okay. yeah, I think a could listen to it with their parents, but necessarily by themselves. They might, you know, there might be some need some context right in that zone. I'm actually um being very sorry. I'm chewing ice. No problem. Can I chew ice? Yeah. <laughs> By all means. That's kind of a habit I got. Um, I don't know. I just enjoy, for some reason, chewing ice. Um, but um, no, I sort of uh, yeah, no, I've been actually restraining myself and sort of cleaning up just my, just not having the habit of like you know, 
just curse, cussing so much and just and i notice now if i do once in a while it sort of it like makes it it doesn't feel good so it's a good thing i guess when you get 40 in your 40s i guess you start to get kind of <laughs> changing sort of the way you look at you say like you know want to discipline yourself about certain things anyway i don't like when i meet like some elderly person and i happen to like i have to like think consciously about you know oh man just don't cuss man you know don't you try to be polite and stuff you know so absolutely anyway okay yeah well it's you've made it into the middle of society now you know it's like half in this slightly more informal maybe there's more cuss words but then half of the people you encounter are older and come from a much more conservative generation right yeah yeah when you're when you're in your 40s you sort of i don't know i kind of like can see sort of where like I, I do when I meet elderly people. I have more respect for them, probably. When I was sure. in the I don't know. I didn't. I couldn't maybe appreciate them or accept. You know, I, I, I personally. I mean, of course, I, I respected my grandparents. I wasn't brought up to not respect elderly people or anything like that. But I probably just didn't mix enough with them. When you're in your twenties, you just want to be like, you know, yeah, I'm gonna conquer the world, and you're just kind of hanging out with other twenty year olds or thirty year olds, maybe. But you're just sort of not. But yeah, I guess when you sort of slow down when you get in your forties, just kind of once in a while you mingle with the people a little bit older and because mm -hmm. now you're like okay yeah i didn't know everything like i thought i did in my 20s and 30s now i've realized like okay i, did, I didn't know everything so maybe now i need to go back and meet some 50 and 60 <laughs> year olds and find out where what were they trying to tell me when i was in my 20s and 30s like yes you know and now i can yeah so it's just getting a process of getting wiser but yeah when i do meet some of my um when I'm kind of mingling with elderly, you know, 50 or 60 year old, 70 year old people, I, I don't want to be accidentally dropping F-bombs and then being, <sighs> you know, even though they'd probably be like, Sonny, I've seen everything in this day. I'm seven years old. There's nothing you can do to shock me and that kind of thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Well, that's <laughs> a cool thing that I found about the, about elderly people is like, yes, they do operate themselves with a little bit more decorum, but that doesn't mean they haven't seen some stuff, you know? Right. It doesn't mean that you really are offending them. They're just like, well, you know, I've seen it both ways. I've seen people treat each other this way and that yeah. way. I like to do it this way. Yeah, and they probably have drank or done more drugs than you could even have comprehended. Like right, they've made the mistakes. They've been the <laughs> foolish young person to be the wise old person. Yeah. Exactly, right, right. That's why they're still alive. It's because they, right. they, yeah. they gained the wisdom. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they they uh, reformed at some point. Yeah. For the better. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, cool, man. Well, would you like to play some tabla? Yeah, I was um, comp uh, contemplating whether to play. I have my two sets. I'm gonna play, but uh, if I get a uh, chance to play, like I'll play a little bit on this one set, and it's kind of not as uh, nice. It's whatever. I'd like to play both of them. So sure. I'll just Jam a little bit for you, just since I haven't, you know, since I well, they're sitting right in front of me, so I guess by I'm all gonna... means. And you know, it's open format, so don't worry about you know, do it as okay. long or as short as feels natural to you as the artist. What's your time restriction? It's twenty six minutes. I see you're almost twenty seven. Yeah, it can go. Uh, it says it can go to an hour. I've pushed it a few minutes longer than that, and actually still okay. will go. But yeah, so I guess we're planning for more or less for an hour. But if okay. you know, if you end up. If you go longer than 33 minutes, I mean, by all means, I want to hear that exploration, but that's no, how much no. time we got. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I, that, I just didn't know if it was 30 minutes because then it would only be three more minutes. So I didn't want to like, 
but I, I'm not gonna play for 30 minutes. I'm a, little, uh, I'm a little bit worn out. I did play all day for the most part, so um, sort of, you know, my hands a little raw. But I'll play a little bit. Yeah, man. Um, I don't know if is that. Um, let me see if. Can you hear that? Okay. That sounds beautiful, loud and clear. And if you could introduce what you're playing and so okay. on. Okay. Okay. Um, well, for for the uninitiated, it's uh, it's the instrument's called tabla. Um. And uh, I'm just adjusting my mic here. Maybe I'll just lower it a little bit. So, okay. Um, and uh, you know what? I don't know. Okay, I'll go ahead and just play on these right now. I'm get. I'm just thinking about. I'll play the other ones in a minute, so you can hear the difference. The, the set I'm using is kind of my practice set, and I they're pretty worn down. So you'll see the difference when I play on the other um, set. But basically, it's it's called tabla. Um, they're finger drums. And uh, they're from India, and they're specifically North Indian, but they have been—they're pretty much the most popular instrument in um, uh, percussion instrument in India because you see them everywhere. And in, in, in India has gazillions of—I don't know—it's at least a good thousand percussion instruments. I mean, it really is a lot. I'm not—I don't even know if I'm exaggerating there, but there's there's so many, and I keep after 20 years traveling there for learning the music, I'm still discovering some new stuff here and there. I'm I'm, I'm never shocked when I. I'm like, oh, wow, there's a new, another instrument I've never seen. So, um, but yeah, it's just, I, I can describe it since you can't see it. Um, of course, you could Google a picture of tabla. The key feature of them is the, um, there's like this black dot that's in the center of both of the skin. There's two drums. I got a, a drum I play with my right hand and a drum I play with my left hand. The right hand drum is smaller and uh, about half the diameter of the left hand drum. The left hand drum's like 10 inches diameter usually. And um, both have... Um, this black dot on the skin. The skins are leather, and uh, they're held onto the drum. The drum is um, it's just a hole on one side, and it's it's actually solid. It's empty, you know, like hollow inside, but there's not um, there's not a hole on the other side, like like a tom tom. So it's just, right. So it's like a bowl with a membrane stretched over. Kind of, yeah. I mean, the 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 right hand drum, which we call the dina, which because dina means right in the Hindi mm -hmm. language, and in in the left hand drum, which is called baya, which baya means left in the in Hindi. So yeah, the the dina, which is made of wood, is uh, kind of trapezoidal. If you can imagine, if you're looking at it from the side, the drum mm -hmm. is not cylindrical, like straight up and down. It actually flares out that's when as it right. goes to the bottom if anyone you know googled a picture um they could see if you know various images and they would kind of see what i'm talking about and then um the the strap goes all the way around one long strap that goes around and has these wooden blocks uh kind of round uh wooden pegs sort of that um hold in hold the strap and as you push it down it actually raises the tension as you bring it up it loosens the drum the tension of the head and then the uh, left the baya the left-handed drum which is like the bass drum is either usually metal it, in originally they were made of clay actually hmm. yeah back in the like when the ancient times and then they started making them out of metal and um and like a, usually a copper um there's steel also but copper i think is the preferred um, it has a better sound tonal quality it's also lighter so um yeah I'll just play a little bit um and and then I'll just talk a little more about it. I just let me play a little bit. <laughs> I don't Thank know. You. Okay, yeah. Uh, it's good. Can you hear that okay? Yes, sir.
anyway, that's a little. Oh, hi, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, you. thank all of you. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, let me play on my other kit. Uh, other kit. My other set. I called them a Please. Yeah, I want to I wanna see. So now um, that would also give your listener like an idea of the tonal, like, variation mm-hmm. how much how i don't know it's just um it actually uh has a, a lot of tonal variation this uh instrument um so yeah this will definitely be a little bit louder i think and i'm not even gonna adjust anything just so you can see so this is my other set i've got set up here and they're um a little bit higher pitch also and they're a little bit smaller it's more like a travel size i kind of wanted something i had this is the first time I've been I've played on any that are this small. So this is tuned to D also. And these skins are fresher, so they're kind of like this, the um a little bit brighter t- tone. When you when you play them, you know you end up your hand like sweats on them and mm-hmm. the leather absorbs it, and it kind of gets this nice. It's a, like a, what what you heard on the first set just now was like yeah it's kind of got that warmer kind of sound but this is a little crisper and um i'll just play a little bit so like this see this sounds a little better with these i think yeah it's a little crisper sound so i heard the difference definitely brighter i heard more uh more like high airy overtones coming out of it less less dark less muffled right 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 yeah yeah this is um and it's yeah there's a lot of plenty of plenty of weird sounds you can get from this instrument and um i just you know i was playing kit from when i was pretty young and um you know i just kind of slowly got I, you know, I first saw Pablo, I was like, of course, I was like, wow, what is that? Most drummers pretty much are blown away in the world when they see someone, you know, for the first time to see him Pablo play. But I didn't, you know, I just kind of didn't really think I could, you know, it was just sort of like, wow, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'd ever be able, you know, you, I didn't, occur, it didn't occur to me to even try to go play him. I was just like, that's amazing. That's it. And it's a very pure thing. And it just sort of, I sort of, I don't know. My drum teacher had um, my my uncle was listening to a lot of Indian. My uncle, my father's from India, so 
my um his older brother, my uncle, who lived up in New York City at the time. So he, I would go up and visit him, and you know, I'd see uh, uh, videos that he had of of tabla players, and we'd listen to recordings, and it just, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of when I started learning him, I sort of was just it was like a hobby, really. It was like something on the side, but yeah, I kind of um, slowly, slowly got it like drew me in, kind of. And then um, in 2006, I sort of decided I was like, I want to like I had been learning from I started in 97 and then I just kept playing the drums and I was playing professionally. So I just didn't really think to quit playing the drums. But 2006, I, I, I got kind of good enough on top. I thought, wow, I, I think if I if I just go full time and just sort of, you know, that I could probably, you know, play it. it I guess it was just I played drums long enough that I sort of felt like, yeah, this is something. I want to really seriously explore, but it it's, was a hell of a leap of faith to be honest, because I didn't really want to quit, you know, playing drum. I, I had, you know, kind of had a nice career with drums, and um, was playing some good gigs, you know, and I didn't, and I uh, yeah, but there was no way to really continue to really learn unless you go full time. Tablas it demands a lot of practice to be honest. It's really a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, can you tell? Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, well, I was going to ask if you could speak to uh, a little bit more to India and the time that you've spent there and what you're hearing from your contacts in India now. Yeah. Um, my first trip to India was in 1979, which um, wow. I was three years old. I believe there were people still smoking on planes then. <laughs> wow i think so I, I think that's what my mom told me um and yeah it was my first flight if you can believe it like how how smart was my dad yeah i'll take my three-year-old kid on a his first flight will be a 20 something hour international <laughs> <laughs> i mean i can't like uh i can't um criticize him for it now i guess yeah but it was just like yeah i don't know if i if i had a three-year-old kid i don't know if i'd bring him on a 20-hour flight i think i i think i'd even gotten diarrhea on the way back and i, oh, I, I yeah unfortunately my dad's a doctor so he knew what to do but i think any other kid could have died i mean you can die when you're a, a baby on a flight like that long right you have that right. you can definitely die so um there's a hilarious story i got plenty of hilarious stories my i think my dad or mom told me that they back in those days, like there wasn't all the kind of controls, and especially India, that still doesn't even have as much like, um, just sort of like looking after like protocols and things like at airports and stuff. So I think it, that we were, I think our plane couldn't take off because uh, Indians like to bring tons of luggage. I don't know what it, it's like a gypsy thing. It's <sighs> like they they move. I think gypsies came out of India. In fact, I don't know if the anthropology is correct, but that's what that's what some people have heard talk. And so they they just. Uh, they had they would just you go to even if you go take a flight to India now you'll see families like yeah they're bringing like a family of four has like nine pieces of luggage or something <laughs> they'll pay they'll pay they'll get the maximum size of bag like each bag you know that they can get you know, on wow. that plane and they're still taking carry on and they're arguing <laughs> about it and anyway we, our plane couldn't take off and the flight I think the plane actually tried to even take off which is really crazy. I think it was something with the pilots in mid liftoff, like, like had to cancel the liftoff. Like, wow. Yeah. And um, they even circled back and they didn't even go all the way back to the gate, which there was no gate. There was like, you, you opened the door of the plane. There was the staircase was there. Right. Right. So they just circled back and they 
my I think my mom said or my dad said that he saw they were just throwing bags on the on the uh, tarmac like they didn't even you know fucking care whose it was they just had to make the plane lighter and they so bags were just being tossed on the tarmac and then we went back to, to quit to take off and I think so you know stuff like that um uh, well, I, I highly recommend it for anyone who has an adventurous spirit um that you go to India but especially well i mean you know if you're if you're female i would say like go with a friend at least or do a mm -hmm. lot of research main thing for any tourist with any western tourist whether you're male or female doesn't matter but main thing is if you learn some of the language it will help you tremendously because mm -hmm. they just they love especially if you learn a good if you're semi-fluent you would really make your experience way better but yeah, uh, other than uh, yeah, that was my first trip. It was uh, seventy nine, and then I think and I know in um, I think we went again when I was five, but I know for sure when I was nine or ten, like it was like eighty five, or eight, yeah, eighty five somewhere around there. Um, it was uh my last childhood trip when I went, you know, with my dad and my sister, and um, we we have pictures and video of it, and um, and I loved it, man. I mean, um. I was running around. It was like during Christmas holidays, so it was like a good two and a half weeks or something, three weeks, and just running outside, playing with the cows. We um we took uh there's I got a video of it and I got this ridiculous like my rat tail that I was you know because it was eighty <laughs> I have like a mullet rat tail, <laughs> whatever. Beautiful. Oh my god! And running around and um we I got sick three times that whole I think each week we were there I got sick just for like a day or two because I just. I just was being a nutcase, just running around playing. We would uh, fly kites on the terrace. Like they have roofs. Um, all the roofs are like flat. So it's like on the very tops of these buildings, you know, you got all these like little patios that are on the very top. And so everyone's out there. And in, in Gujarat, which is the state my dad's from, they have they do a lot of kite flying. And so, and, and they actually have like the strings are um, – uh, they, they put like – they dip like um, – they take like they shred, uh, they make like powdered glass. I don't know. They they crush glass up into like fine dust powder. Then they some <clears throat> they they put it in like this gluey some sort of liquid and then run the string through it. And so your your kite string actually has like shards of like powdered glass on it. And they mm. they would cut each other's strings like that's a competition over there where you got the sky's filled with kites. Everyone on their their rooftops, all as far as the eye can see around you is just flying kites so there's kites all up in the air it's like clouded with kites and you're like and you would fight it was like kite fighting where you would actually try to get your string wrapped around another guy's kite and you it was like a tug um like a dueling you would duel huh. and you would cut the other guy's kite or he'd cut yours depending on you know who was lucky <laughs> or whatever and it was just the th it's just awesome man it's just awesome india is absolutely like I mean, uh, it's phenomenal. It's just, it's unbelievable, you know, and you'll you'll never have a dull moment, you know, and, and you'll have plenty of like moments. Where you're just like you want to be the hell out of there. You just like, <laughs> like sucks, you know, like this is so agonizing, but you'll never have a dull moment. You have plenty of great moments, most blissful like those moments come too. I mean, the moment you uh, step off the plane. I mean, I brought my friend over there. Well, OK, it was my second trip. Uh, and I started going on my own for learning Pablo in 1999. I chose the best time of year, early June. Yeah, it was, I'm, I'm being facetious. <laughs> it was like the beginning of monsoon season, and it's hot as hell. And then monsoon, <laughs> monsoon comes, and it becomes humid as hell. And it's just like 
it kind of cools it down, but it's also humid, and the days mm-hmm. in between rain are very hot and humid. But um, it, it was – I didn't care. I just wanted to go so bad. I was in a really cool band too. I was living in Charleston, and I was in this really good like jazz fusion band that we were doing really well. It was called, cool. it was called The New Fresh and uh we were we were doing really well and i quit that band i remember telling them i was like dudes uh i gotta i can't play this summer i'm you know i gotta leave i'm going to india to learn tabla and they were just kind of wow. like totally befuddled <laughs> but <sighs> they were like damn dude really you're gonna drop me <laughs> like this. and um wow. yeah but i just was inspired and so i got landed there in 99 early june it was like june 8th June 9th, and then um, that was the beginning of my trips to India, which I've been doing pretty much every year since then. Uh, it's been almost – I think there's one or two years I didn't go. And, like, this this winter I didn't go, but I think 2002 winter also I didn't go, and I think that's about it. I think every single winter I've been there, and some some summers too. Um, You know, and I brought a – I was saying I brought a friend over there, my friend um, who also plays bass. I think I told you about him, uh, Zach Jones. Mm-hmm. He came with me, and we had a few. We had this fusion band going with a, a local Calcutta tabla player and a, this singer, my friend Siddharth, who I've told you about Siddharth. Sid. Mm-hmm. So that's how I met Siddharth. And we we uh, when I went in 2001 April, and me and I brought Zach. And when Zach, when I remember he was in front of me, we we're getting off the plane, and the doors open again. There was not. There was just the tarmac with the staircase to the you know. And so it was just the doors open, so that's there's a smell that, like, and I don't know if you've ever talked to anyone who's like landed and they smell that smell for the first time. It's not any kind of thing that like is necessary. It's not bad necessarily, but it's not like good. But you don't know what the hell it is. You're just like, what is this like complete mixture? It's like a hodgepodge, like a potpourri of something. It's so many things that y- your mind just goes immediately into a trance because you have no option. There's, there's, there's right. it's so much overload of different things together that, and it's everything is like that over there. I'm see, I've seen some of the most wildest shit and it's, um, stuff that just, you know, it's just kind of like, what? Like, did I really <laughs> see that? You know, it's so many different, um, yeah, so much. It's, it's a lot. And, um, it's like, but it's, yeah, and you miss it, man. The more you go there, you just start missing it, at least for me, you know. Yeah, I hated it when I was. I'm sorry. When I was nine and got in that trip in '85, and I got sick three times. I remember when we flew out. I looked at it when we were in the plane. I was looking through the window, saying, "I hate India. I'm never coming back here." Yeah, I was saying that to myself. And then, um, you know, I guess it was whatever. I was nine, and then I went when I was twenty. Uh, ninety-nine was I was twenty-three. So whatever the math is, fourteen years, I guess. So fourteen years later. I'm like, did I do that right? Yeah, 14 years, I guess. I was just mm-hmm. back there, you know, so. Wow. So what are you hearing from that place now that is already such a constant hodgepodge and exciting? And what is it now during quarantine? Well, you know, what's what what um, my friend Siddharth, who was my main uh, contact now lately, is one who I keep in touch with mostly. Um, I mean, I have plenty of other friends over there, but you know, he, I, we keep in touch daily and, um, he's just been telling me that, um, for the last two weeks or whatever it is, they've been since the lockdown quote unquote, you know, started, uh, yeah, which I really think that's a really bad, it's not like a misnomer. They should never have used that word. It just sounds like, you know, I know God, really weird word to be it's scary on purpose. Yeah. It's almost like a 1984 sound. It's like some, uh, 
uh, uh, George Orwellian kind of speech, you know, speak. Right. It's like, geez, come on. We don't need to play into it that much. Exactly. We, we as the public are playing into it ourselves. We're like, it's, it's like we want to be, you know, bossed around by the government. And, and, and we, yeah, you know, it, it really is. It's uh, really weird. But um, yeah, I, I even told him that. I said people shouldn't be calling that it that over there. Anyway, you, you're not gonna, you're not really gonna be able to ever lock down, no matter how hard you try. One point right. three billion Indians, you know. So the problem is that the people still going out, and so they end up getting attacked by the police. Um, there's people who I don't understand what the hell they're thinking. Like you're gonna get, they're farmers and like construction worker guys, and these people who are they can't survive. They don't have like savings. They have maybe some little savings of food. They, the only way they can survive is they help each other out. That's the only way. It's like they just – it's – I mean it's still tribal is the thing. It's like even though – India is just really weird because it's like it's like they're the, – the people who are at the top you know, in the socioeconomic you know, classes and stuff, they want, of course, there to be more control over things. The workers to do what they tell them to do and show up this time. And I've seen where just people just don't even show up to go to work over there. They just, they just don't show. I don't feel like going today. I don't, you know, or they come an hour late. Over here, you come an hour late, you know what happens. I mean, you do it once, right. you might get away. Next time, you're gone, baby. And that's how much. Fun. <laughs> that's how it is over here. And we go, and we we kind of the Western. We're like, but over there, it's just still so. It's just still so like natural to me. It just seems more like the way I don't know. I, I just think it's more laid back. People do need to work, so they will eventually. They might not show up one day, and they might not have an excuse, but they will come. But they just they're gonna come back. But it's like it's like chill out, you know. It's like it really doesn't matter. <laughs> Are you fed? Do you have a roof over your head? You got water, you know, to drink. You're you're gonna be fine. It's like over here, everyone's just still blinded by the. It's it's like I think the materialism thing. I think it's coming to a head, man. I think it really is. Maybe this coronavirus is something, a a, a, a some sort of plan of by God, of whatever God is. You know, that's not just the new world order. It's it's something beyond that. Like that that's gonna really change things where people get back into touch in touch with what really matters. And it's not the bling bling of life. It's not about that. I got. I mean, I you know. I'm just saying, like, I, I don't know. Like, if I, as long, there's just, people got to remember, I mean, if you got all your limbs and you're breathing and you're healthy and you, you, you can get at least a couple hours a day to play some music and entertain yourself, that you really have everything, you know? Absolutely. I, I don't even amen. mind. I, yeah, amen. I don't even mind that I don't, I'm not married, you know, and don't have kids. I'm not saying I wouldn't want to, but, like, I, I would rather adopt a kid right now, like, the way of the situation. Sure. I think, like, people should think like that more rather than I have to have my own kid. Like, I mean, you know, like Bill Burr said, everything doesn't have to be brand new. <laughs> Bill Burr, he's hilarious. He's talking about That's adoption. Cool. He's like, everything doesn't right, have to be right. brand new. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a pre-loved child. Mm. But, you know, that's uh, that's beautiful. And I mean, I think what that is, is people's alignment, our sense of loyalty is shifting a little bit out of the nuclear family and kind of into the human species right. because of this. So yeah. that's kind of neat. I think you're right, you know, and, and I think with the Iraq war and with the Afghan, whole Middle Eastern conflict and us being over there, I've seen also that's happened for like with the 
the the our military personnel like because i have some friends like i have some hick friends and some of them are like in the military <laughs> all of them know people who are with respect with respect to Hicks. yeah with all due respect they don't mind they don't care <laughs> it's a compliment you know Red, my sure, red, my sure. redneck friends. So, so they got right. friends who are in those. I meet some of these guys, and and, and um, I think they've. Uh, so a lot of them have had their eyes open, and they they went over there probably, you know, when the Iraq War started or whatever. They went over there thinking, oh yeah, I'm gonna kick ass and I'm gonna take names and all that kind of shit. And they probably ended up getting gaining like a multicultural perspective, and they real a lot of them realized that like this is a rich man's war. And that we, we were sent over as, you know, like tools for them and basically right. pawns for these rich, you know, the oil industry people and, and the banks, you know, it's really the banks, you know, and the, the people at the top of that, the, the money printing people. So, you know, it's just um, they, they, it, they inadvertently, you know, what has happened or indirectly, what, but for the good of everything is this global. And, and, you know, I was busking with Jim Hadley at a flea market in West Columbia and talk about Hick Central. I mean, that's as Hick as it gets. It's called the Barnyard Flea Market. Let me just tell you the name. That's the name of the place. It's called the Barnyard right. Flea Market. It's over in West Columbia or Lexington, actually. Lexington, somewhere. One of those. And, um, dude, I saw the, the, uh, the deputy sheriff was there talking. And he, you know, was, uh, he had his, smart, his smartphone and he was showing me. And, dude, if you can imagine, like, his accent okay just imagine it's you know west colonial lexington it's it's like it's very hick sound he co and he's he was really excited and he was showing me and jim check out this video i watched and he's showing us tuban throat singing like the mongolian <sighs> throat singers that do oh, like yeah. words with all i'm very I, familiar i'm sure you are because you're very like you're obviously a very uh knowledgeable musician wilson beyond <laughs> very and and so i i know you can appreciate so I couldn't believe yes. it, dude. I was so because I had heard about that from my drum teacher. Jeff had shown me about that back in the nineties, and I, I thought that was so far out there. Like, if you knew, only people who knew about something like that were like musicologists, you know? Right. Somebody was studying that kind. Of, I even I hadn't heard of it, and I had been doing music for twenty years at the time. I was just like, dude, this is crazy. And and this guy because he has a smartphone, and he was just checking out stuff. So that is the beauty of like you know, there's always the flip side. There's always the good side that like the, that even those smartphones have maybe temporarily create a lot of like weirdness in the world and sort of um, kind of, uh, you know, there's been a lot of adjusting that's had to happen, you know, socially. And there's all this good that comes out of it. People can get educated, you know, just sitting, doing their, this, on their downtime at their job. They can learn about tube and throat singing. And, and then, uh, yeah, so it, it's all, it, everything does work out. And so uh, I think that, uh, whatever complaints I have are temporary things. And, uh, yeah, I, I, but yeah, as far as India, man, going there every year, um, never a dull moment. The longest I spent one year, I did spend 13 months. I went there and I stayed, I didn't go back. I think it was 2010 or 11. I thought I was going to lose my mind for a moment. I was <laughs> after 10 months. I was, I had never been there that long straight. And I, it, it really yeah. does. Cause you got to think it's not just about like culture shock. It's about, um, there's actually like a, a noise there. So there's this human noise, like especially you're because you, you're in any metropolitan city. I mean, I'm not living in the village when I'm out there. I do. I have visited plenty of villages. I've even visited tribal areas. But the metropolitan areas are all massive. Each one of them is, is like makes New York look like a village. When I brought my ex-girlfriend over here, we, uh, you know, we were together at the time, of course. So I brought her over here. We landed in New York and she was like, oh, I thought New York was more bustling. 
<laughs> bustling's like an English. That's like a proper British word, you know, busy, like yeah. bustling. Bustling. I thought it was more bustling. This right, I think so, proper yes. English. <laughs> right. So I was like, really? Yeah, I know. And I was, I was agreeing with her. I was kind of looking around. I was like, yeah, there's a lot of space on the sidewalk. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's New York City, but it's like we're in Manhattan. She's talking about. And then, yeah, she, she was just saying that. Yeah. And so, you know, um, it, it's, uh, it, yeah, you literally can't walk in a straight line. A lot of times in, you're walking mm-hmm. down the sidewalk in some of these cities. You're just doing like the snake maneuvers to get, you know, avoid people group in, you know, everyone's coming at every di- different direction. They don't just go straight back and forth. It's like, there's not just straight back and forth, right and left in India. There's like, the, there's like Hubert movement. <laughs> Pac, you know, like Pac-Man, you know, Pac-Man yeah. maze, that kind of shit. I mean, you know, so it's, it's great. It's great. It's, it, yeah. Driving is a hell of a thing. I, I finally started driving in 2005. Oh, I, I was mm-hmm. going for six years and I was just riding around on the, like I would ride on my friend's scooter. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I just got to see how the traffic worked and, but I didn't try to drive until 2005 <laughs> i finally got a motorcycle which was crazy because i hadn't even driven a motorcycle here in america i didn't i didn't even know how to switch gears i, did, I had always had an automatic car you know when i was 15 i, I started driving 16 or whatever we always just had an automatic that was you know i don't know i could have probably learned i kept like cutting the car off every time i try to learn the, and i get frustrated with the clutch and stuff like yeah so finally but I, because I had to, because they didn't have any, I, was, I wasn't going to drive a car over there. So, and there were automatic scooters, but this guy had this bike for sale. It was a Yamaha RX 100. I still have it. I bought it in 2005. I still have it 15 years. And it's, it was already, it was 1990 when I, it was made in 1990. So it's, it's like a 30 year old bike and uh, it's just Yamaha, man. They make great stuff. So uh, drum sets, they make motorcycles, they make stereos. It's like, uh, right. so I, uh, I ended up, uh, yeah, learning the gear shifting and clutching on a, on a motorcycle in Calcutta and my friend helped me. Um, and so, yeah, but it, just seeing how the traffic moves is the first thing you got to learn. If you want to like, don't just get jump on a vehicle. First thing you, you ride around in India for a while. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cause, Cause they got their own system. It's, it's like jazz music as versus here, which is, I guess like maybe, you know, uh, two beat. <laughs> Everything's <laughs> <a great board. laughs> I don't know. Right. Right. It's like a polka. It's, it's a nice straightforward, like predictable oh, yeah. kind of, yeah. You read the signs. Right. It's something you're reading charts or something. You're not just. Up the <laughs> right. 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 There's a yeah, national number system, straightforward. It's like paint by colors over here, kind of. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Follows the signs everywhere. I had I had a, the thought recently. I was like, gosh, like there's so many signs that I wonder if it's affecting our psychology, it is. like how dangerous we think the road is. Oh, you know, the worst thing I saw was just like last year that they had a sign saying, "Pay attention to the road." Or something. I swear there was a billboard that actually said it was. It was completely ironic. It said or <laughs> contradictory or whatever the word is. It was like it yeah, con- yeah, self-contradicting because yeah. it, it instead <laughs> look, look at the road. Don't look at your phone. And you're telling me, and I'm looking at your, the damn billboard telling me that. You know, it's, it's oh gosh, ridiculous. that's hilarious. Yeah, it's hilarious. Cool. It's funny. Well, yes, that's amazing. Well, we're here uh, just about at the one hour mark, so I like to end with if you. Uh, you know, you've got the floor to just leave us with your last little, you know, your billboard message of whatever type you like. Um, uh, okay. Well, 
I had something that I was gonna say. I was saying something the other day about, but um, I I guess just the thing uh was sort of. Well, I like to say this because it's something I thought of myself and kind of yeah. a tinge of originality to it. But uh, I like to say it during Christmas, but I know it's cool. not Christmas. I'll just go ahead and throw it out because it's the first thing came to my mind when you said to cool. leave something. Um, since we are in kind of a trying time and I guess people are maybe maybe could get angry at each other, you know, because we forget that we're in this together. And we are sure. together in, in America. You're never going to take the communal spirit out of human heart. You know, no matter what technology uh, occurs, no matter how much bling bling is, you know, there and whatever. But um, I will say that uh, uh, if you uh, if if you truly forgive, there is no need to forget. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. You know, people say, like, forgive and forget and that kind of thing. Yeah, right, so, right. You know, if you're ever in a situation, you're having a sort of a confrontation with anyone and maybe because, you know shit is kind of difficult right now just think think about that and think that you know the forgiveness and compassion is the most important thing compassion is absolutely the most empowering thing that uh, human humans can can have and we should indulge in it <laughs> so so yeah i love it beautiful thank you so much for your time and your actually expertise. i look forward to uh, invite me please uh, again and i'll play some more tabla and maybe i'll play a, some drums or whatever <laughs> Sure, absolutely we will. So where can the folks at home uh, listen to some of your music or see what you're doing or anything they, like that? They can go either. I don't – still I'm working on my website because they're those user webs, user uh, template things. I got to get that worked out. But just go right. on. Um, either you can uh, make – you can look at my Facebook page, which is just uh, facebook.com slash Ryan T. Shaw. And that, that's my like personal page. You can make friends with me or you can go on facebook.com slash um, Ryan Shaw music, one word, Ryan Shaw music. And my, my name is S-H-A-H, Ryan Shaw, S-H-A-H. And then um, there's the YouTube channel, which is the same thing. If they, I think if they search, I'm pretty sure if you search youtube.com or, or if you just search in the search bar, Ryan mm -hmm. Shaw music or Ryan Shaw, but Ryan Shaw music is probably I think better just to look up me up on Facebook and just make friends with me on Facebook. I'll I'll send you all the stuff. I'll just message it to you because I I still don't got the website going. I do have an email also Ryan T Shaw at gmail.com or Ryan Shaw Music at gmail.com. So I'm still getting my stuff together. Nice. I like email a, a lot because it's just easy to I can send stuff you know links to people. Cool. Yeah, it's just easy. So it, Facebook, email, whatever, YouTube. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. Have an excellent night, my friend. Hey, man. It's great to talk to you again, man. And, and uh, definitely. Um, Likewise. Yeah. Let's 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 chat some more and and do some music sometime, man. I'll drive down to Gainesville. <laughs> Heck yeah, dude. Asking. Maybe we can meet in like Savannah or something. Oh man, yo, that would be really fun. When the quarantine's over, I would love to just see Savannah. Oh, that's, that's right. Yeah, beautiful. we have to get checked if we were to cross the borders. Oh, right. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, we got to cross state lines. I think that, that is that yeah. thing. Yeah, well, I guess we'll just stick with yeah. online for now. Yeah, well, we, you know, when the time comes, you know, we'll both submit to the necessary cavity search and everything, and we'll get the papers, and we'll, you know, we'll end, both end up in court. Okay, let, that, that's fine, man. Dude, I will definitely be uh, check, get my blood tested for you. Right. <laughs> All right, beautiful. All right, dude. Cool. All right, blessings. Huh? I said blessings. Have okay, God, God bless, man. Have a great night. All right, later. All right, later.